Welcome back. Welcome back to the dialogue. Real talk, real people. We are talking with Mayor Butts, our Inglewood Mayor Butts tonight, who's dropping some knowledge and he's giving us some exclusive. This is some information he has not said publicly. We are getting to know him uh, up close and personal, and really getting to to uh, enjoy learning more about Mayor because you have an absolutely fantastic story. Some of the stuff that you've been able to accomplish. I mean, during the commercial break, we were talking about just the the evolution of your political relationships. How have they changed? Who, who who's calling you now? Well, well, the interesting thing is that. Um in the beginning, when I was in Ingwood, first of all, nobody called, nobody came, nobody visited, and you didn't get invited anywhere. Now, everybody wants me to come, you know, the the different uh, associations, city government associations, want me to come speak and tell the, the Ingwood story. Um, different professional organizations want me to come speak and tell the Ingwood story. The uh, greater LA, Chamber of Commerce. They have a committee put together for the Super Bowl. They came to Ingwood to meet. It would these kind of things. They just didn't and you, happen. And you freaked before. out the office, the conference room. The conference yeah. room is dope. Well, <laughs> the conference room is dope. And I told you, where, you have a book in you. You have a couple of books in you. You, you know, you're going to have to write a book. Well, you got to look like you are. And so <laughs> when you talked about that branding issue, we brand ourselves with uh, superior performance, superior results. And then we try to shape the look of the city so that okay. it fits what we are. Fantastic. And I hear a caller on the line. And if you are calling to listen to the show, um, please hang up and just listen on your browser. But if you do have a question, uh, I'm going to ask you to ask your comment or your question now. Hello, caller. Are you there? Yes. Hi. Uh, yes. Welcome to the dialogue. you have a comment or question for Mayor Butts? I do. How are you, Mayor Butts? My name is Dwayne. I'm actually an uh, Inglewood graduate myself, class of 98. Also uh, an actor. I did a film called The Wood way back when. Yay! Absolutely. I love The Wood. Yeah. yeah. So I'm also a community member in the city of Inglewood. Um, I had a couple questions. First of all, brother, I appreciate you being our mayor. And, uh, you know, it's always good to see a brother in office, especially one that lives in the community trying to do some things for the community. I got two questions for you. Um, one of which is very simple. Do you plan on going any further as it goes to political office? You don't know how many times I'm asked that question, and it's just like I was telling Star before. Um, I've never ended up doing one thing I plan to do. I, whatever I'm into, I'm into it. And right now, I'm into Inglewood, and and this is all I can see. Uh, this is all I breathe there's no need to think about doing something else because we have so much left to do that is great here. So I don't have any aspirations to do anything but the best I can and for it's the a pretty city. Good spot right now too. Yeah, and this is, this is I would say that as mayor's spots go, this is probably a pretty good one now. Absolutely. You had another question? <laughs> yeah, last question, I guess not to take up too much of your time. But you mentioned earlier in conversation when you were part of the Inglewood Police Department that there was a you helped out with the big drug screen and making over 800, 900 arrests. Um, I was just curious, you know, that um, in our community there's a huge, huge problem with drugs and alcohol. There's abuse that happens, and a lot of people that are arrested wind up in a system that doesn't actually fix their addiction or anything, but actually causes more problems when they have to deal with tickets and arrests and things of that nature. Now some are warranted. I get that. But I wonder, in those arrests, did it lead to the larger arrests? 
because, I mean, we all know that Tyrone doesn't own a boat or any planes to bring what is being sold in our neighborhoods to our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So even though these are the guys that are catching the charges, being put away and getting all types of gang enhancements and RICO law types of deals, mm-hmm. these aren't the people that are actually flooding our community with these drugs. They're just the end game. And I right. believe, yeah, we, we kind of stack our numbers with that. But I'm wondering, does that even lead to the larger uh, lack of a better term, the Escobar arrest that the, we're looking for to stop. That's, that's really an excellent question. What was the caller's name again? You said Dwayne. I'm sorry. What's your yeah, name? Dwayne. 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 You, Dwayne you, you asked yes, an excellent sir. question, and 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 again, everything depend on, depends on context. Now, back then, that was '86. That was the '80s. That was the crack cocaine wars, and so um, you're right. Crack cocaine, uh, cocaine powder was flooded into our communities. It was rocked up into crack, and so our basic which also fo- carried a heavier charge than yeah, softer cocaine. Yeah, absolutely. Right? But but our, our focus was on the violence that those turf wars created for the neighborhoods. We had um, mothers that would not let their children come out to play after five o'clock because of the drug activity. Mm. We had high murder rates because of the rival drug activity so we focused on that but we did carry it further up to the bigger level suppliers now I didn't have that much time after that in Inglewood but when I got to Santa Monica we definitely did go up the chain and we seized about 10 million dollars in assets from the higher level dealers and suppliers and we use that to fund things like our, our IT infrastructure nice. our communications division things like that uh, all kinds of public safety measures so you're right there is a bigger there are bigger fish to be fried but at the street level, people have to live. And so your first focus has to be, uh, crime is like mercury. There's always gonna be crime and there's probably all gonna be, always gonna be some level of drug sales. And it's like mercury. We squeeze it to go someplace else. Our objective in Inglewood and Santa Monica was always to squeeze it so it wasn't there where we are. Okay, very good. Thank you so much for your question, du- uh, Dwayne, and, oh, you. and for your you. contribution to the wood. I love that movie. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I'm in the wood natives trying to keep it going. Support all, all right of you. Now. Uh, good. what you guys are doing. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your call. Richard, do we still have another caller? Hi, caller. You're on uh, with Mayor Butts. Do you have a comment or question? There's an- uh, yes, I do. Can you guys hear me? Hi, yes. Hi. Welcome to the dialogue. you have a question for Mayor Butts? Uh, yes, I do. I wanted to ask Mayor Butts. Uh, being that he uh, is a, a black man actually in leadership, and sometimes I notice that I know within our own culture, we're critical of most of our people who are in leadership. So, you know, a lot of slander and things come attached uh, to his name at times. I'm pretty sure that he's come across uh, certain things on the internet. So, how do you create the perfect balance of, or how do you balance those things out? without losing, you say, your integrity or your dignity towards um, just being the most effective leader that you can and also have, you know, those type of situations created any obstacles in your particular role of leadership. Okay, first of all, no one has the capacity to take your dignity from you unless you don't believe that you're worthy of dignity in the first place. Secondly, you're always going to have people that are going to seize upon whether they're tragedies in your life, whether they be personal, interpersonal, familial, and they will attempt to use that to demean you. And, and every great person, uh, and I'm not saying I'm a great person, 
but I looked at examples of great people has had tragedies in their life. And so it's just, um, it's an absurdity to even focus on anything that anyone sees on the internet. I say, judge me by my results, judge me by my words, and see if I follow through on what I say. Accountability. Accountability. You're not. You're not afraid to be held accountable. I've been. I've been. I've. I've. I've relished accountability in every position I've ever had, and I've delivered. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your uh, call, caller. Uh, do you have any more callers, Richard? Okay. Thank you so much. Um, interesting. Uh, you know, aspect on just being in your position and and dealing with the community opposition. Were there any opposition? Were there any negative feedback or in in terms of your revitalization? Efforts and let, or, or let plans. Me, let me tell you something. Were there when NIMBYs? You, Did you get some NIMBYs? When you when you come into uh, a situation that I will tell you from a fiscal, social orientation perspective that is what I considered completely dysfunctional. I, I when I came back here from Santa Monica in the airport, which is Los Angeles, I asked myself after the first. <laughs> two council meetings, I said, was it like this when I left? And, and and I wondered, I wondered, I said, what happened here? Right. And so honestly, one of my first orientations was, I said, we have to change the dialogue here mm -hmm. to let's be honest about what our problems are. Let's talk about what our pathways to the future are, and let's talk about the sacrifices that we're all going to have to make mm -hmm. to get to a stabilized future where we can even attract other businesses okay. or entertainment. Okay. And so that was the big thing for me. I've always been a a strategic focused person I and I compartmentalize well and you had to compartmentalize very well not to let all the rhetoric get to you and throw you off mm -hmm. and so you know we I developed objectives and some are more political objectives you know we needed different council people in two of the seats and and we worked on that and we needed to give me an example we had three tree trimmers we trimmed about 1200 trees a year we have 19,000 trees in the Inglewood inventory. That meant whether you need it or not, every 20 years we trim your tree. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So we engaged in a public-private partnership. Now we trim 6,000 trees a year. Uh, we reassigned those employees to the parks where they could you know, do some more good in keeping our parks clean. Uh, we outsourced our, or, or public-private partnership, our parking control operation where uh, the vendor hired as many of our people as were employable, and we more than. And, and what happened to the trees with the, the the shuttle that were removed? Oh, we placed them with palm trees. Okay. Um, that was for free. Okay. Um, and uh, and street sweepers. We had two street sweepers, uh, two machines that were over 35 years old, and two street sweeping personnel. One of the street sweeping machines was broken at all times. And uh, so we had one street sweeper uh, for nine square miles. And fortunately, one of the street sweeping people was always off injured. So we had a perfect symbiosis between equipment and personnel. It was mm -hmm. like somebody planned it. But so now we have five street sweepers we nice. contract out for the service. And so I focused on improving services first. And then we cut our deal with Madison Square Garden. And that was 
the jump off point for the new England. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more in detail about mm-hmm. the whole revitalization and, and the form. And, but I did want to ask you, because I, I want to talk a little bit, you were the driving force behind uh, the renovation of the form. Um, what was your decision to, to go after that initially? Well, what inspired remember, you? remember when, when I, um, before I was even working in Inglewood, you know, Jack King Cook built the form and uh, my father would take us to the Coliseum to see the Rams, Sports Arena to see the Lakers. And then when the uh, uh, Jack King Cook built the forum, then, you know, I, I attended the forum while I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So my first concert there, Sly and the Family Stone. Sly and the Family Sly Stone. Sly and the Family Stone. <laughs> <laughs> and so then while I was there, you know, I was there for the three-peat Showtime Lakers and uh, – the track used to draw 38 to 41,000 people a day. So between 15,658 uh, coming out of the forum and 38,000 people coming out of the track, we had 50,000 people mm-hmm. sometimes three or four days a week mm-hmm. in Inglewood. It was it was jumping. It was. And, and that's what I remembered. I also learned in Santa Monica, when I came to Santa Monica, they really couldn't get Third Street to take off because they had the problems with drugs, uh, gangs. And uh, and the homeless, homeless. mad situation. Mm-hmm. And by the time I left Santa Monica, is popping. It was an international tourist destination. And so, if I learned anything from my time in Inglewood, in Santa Monica, and in LA, was that you need people in cars if you're going to be a successful city. Is that and the, what? And you need people in cars to be in your city. And the best way to get people in cars in your city is to have an entertainment base. And, so, and I'm excited next week to talk about what you're going to do on Market Street. And, girl, I've got lots and, of plans. And, and all that. Um, the Rams. You obviously grew up. You were a fan. What happened on Monday night with the 49ers? What oh, happened? Know. Come on, come on. Hey, come on. Ooh, <laughs> come on. I'm going to okay. root for the Rams. Star, what happened? Star, were you star, at the game? Star, no, of course not. Star, <laughs> star, look, let me tell you something. If, if you can give me that one bad day, out of the last two and a half years it took us to get the Rams here, I'll take that bad day <laughs> and let it go. I'm rooting for them. Okay. I am rooting for them. Hey. Uh, you know. Blip on the oscilloscope, okay? It's a blip. It's a blip. I'm, wait, no, I'm watching yeah. Hard Knocks. I'm following them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be a, a fan. Minute. I'm going to get a right. T-shirt. That's I'm right. going to I'm going to drink the L.A. Rams juice. Hey. <laughs> you know go Rams. Go Rams. You I, want to say? I have a question off topic. When do you sleep? I, I know. And how do you manage your stress? That's what I was going to say. Well, you know, I try to get to sleep by 930 every night. I wake up about 1230. Like I told you, I read um, about 17 papers on the Internet. I go back to sleep. Try to get it no later than 230. Sleep till about 6. Get up to the gym by 630. Go work out. Try to get to the office by 730, quarter to 8. Start the day and start all over again. You're a spiritual man? Very spiritual. Matter of fact, raised uh, in uh, Home United Methodist Church, but it's a little church, uh, a satellite that uh, 64th and 4th, 67th and 4th Avenue. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in fact, I ran into the pastor that was there that did my father's funeral service at the 110th anniversary of Inwood Park Cemetery last week. Wow. She was there and we took a picture together. Fantastic. Um, back to the Rams. What was that like with meeting Stan Kroenke? How did that even go go down? That was a very interesting story. Um, actually, I had talked to Mark Davis 
after I had about 12 months in office about the potentiality of them purchasing 60 acres that was owned by Walmart and possibly partnering with um, Stockbridge International, which had the Hollywood Park Tomorrow Project with 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 Wilson Meaning, but you know it just couldn't come together. You have to have three things to to get a football team. Mm-hmm. You got to have one, an owner wants to be here. Two, you have to have the financing. Three, you have to have the right size site. And fourth, and most important, you got to get 75% of the owners to vote to let that team move. Mm-hmm. And and those elements weren't there. Then one day I'm in my office, I get a call uh, from a guy that um, owned a restaurant in Santa Monica uh, that was a good friend of Stan Kroenke. And he says, Stan Kroenke's in town, he'd like to talk to you if you had some time. And and I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't know who Stan Kroenke was. I said, who's Stan Kroenke? And I Googled him, and I saw, oh, owns the Rams, the Arsenal, the Denver Nuggets. So you weren't even thinking about Denver, Denver the football Nuggets. team or nothing prior I, to that I, call? I, I, I wasn't thinking about football at that moment okay. because the Rams thing, I mean, the Raiders thing had come and gone. Okay. And then he came, and what could have been a 15-minute meeting ended up being two hours and 15 minutes, and and we basically agreed on a vision that uh, ended up with them in a joint venture with Stockbridge Capital and and Wilson Meany Associates to turn that 298 total parcel into a sports entertainment mecca. And out of that meeting, we got busy. And uh, so you had no we, idea what that meeting today. was going to. I had no that there was no plan for that meeting to occur. I did want football, but not football by itself. Okay. We wanted football with a mixed use that would be in play 365 days a year. Okay. Most places that build football stadiums, they do the, they do the following. One, the city contributes between 50 and 57% of stadium costs. A lot of times they run a joint powers authority where the city ends up being responsible for the maintenance, repairs, and renovation of the stadium when the time comes. Okay. And so now you're always chasing your money because you've bonded. You got to hope the ticket tax, sales taxes from things that are sold in the venue and parking taxes equate to the payment on the bonds. And then you hope that ancillary development now makes money for your city. Doesn't always work out that way. Mm -hmm. Our deal's a little different. I know you struck something different. (laughs) (laughs) Ours is 100% developer finance, including the public portions, the the roadways, the sewer systems. We get four parks out of the deal. this is unheard of. I know. Now, 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 How did now, you open up now, your mouth to, now, say, to now, ask now, for that? Well, nobody <laughs> well, you just did. like, you know, this is what I want. You want to come to my city, this is what we're going to do. But but here's what here's what we had to offer. We had the largest contiguous block of open land in urban Southern California. We're 2.5 miles away from one of the busiest Category X airports in the mm-hmm. country. We were right in the middle, the epicenter of four freeways. And the weather's so good here that you know good and well every time it rains you got to go buy a new umbrella because you don't remember what you did with the <laughs> the last time it rained, right? That is and, true. And, and 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 I said I said you could build a stadium anywhere. You're a multi-billionaire. You're a developer, and you could build a stadium anywhere you want. I mm-hmm. said, but only here is it big enough for you to have Cronkyville. Mm. With, and, that, and, with that being said. It's, I mean, it's one of the nicest looking stadiums that I've seen. I was at a real estate um, conference and they're talking about how nice it is, how it's, um, 
sunk into the earth so that we can still have the planes fly over and everything. But one of the questions I wanted to ask, and a lot of people have been asking me, is what do you see this effect with the Rams doing for residents? Do you, how do you see it playing out? Well, first of all, you know, if I'm going to finish the story with Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke is all in for the city of Inglewood. Mm-hmm. They have already started uh, Rams Play 60 where they go to the high schools and, and put on exercise clinics okay. for the kids. They've already went to Monroe uh, Middle School and built a playground for them. Um, Stan Kroenke is a man of his word, uh, a gentleman, and uh, and he's a partner to the city. And so for him to go in go all in, finance everything. The only mm-hmm. time that we pay back for any of the public things that he pays for us mm-hmm. is in a year where the city makes more than $25 million wow. in total revenues from the development. So what does that mean in simple terms? If we make $24 million, we pay nothing that year. We make $27 million, after we count our money, we give them $3 million towards what they spent for us. That's the opposite model from all other nice. Uh, nice. Uh, nice. stadium ventures. Mm-hmm. So have other mayors reached out to you? And and <laughs> well, like how do you do that? that over there? Right, how you, what's up? Can we have coffee? <laughs> well, you know, I do talk a lot more to to my peers, and we have a lot of discussions. But you have to remember, a team moves. I don't know, once or twice in a generation, yeah. you know, you have a, a, a not, not the same team either. Mm-hmm. It, you know, once or twice in a generation. And um, it was 21 years since the uh, Rams left Anaheim. So as a fan growing up, you must be so proud to have been to have been the vehicle to get them to come back home. The thing I'm most proud of is that uh, my father, and I know that he knows it, knows that his son was involved mm-hmm. And bring the Rams back to Southern California, mm-hmm. and so that there's no better feeling than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's more than what you want your legacy to be, but it, mm-hmm. that is an absolutely fantastic feather to have in your hat. Right, right. No, but I, like you said, my legacy is people in Inglewood are proud to say they live in Inglewood. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to ask you just you know just some personal questions, just about you know some of the things that are happening in terms of race relations in in America, and especially with black men, um, and uh, you know the police brutality and things of that nature. What are your thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement and the conversation around police brutality, even from the the presidential election space? I gotta say, wow, you you know, do you know how interwoven, complex that question is? Okay, it, it isn't a case of what do I think of Black Lives Matter, what do I think of. Uh, police use of force here, here here are the bigger issues the bigger issues are this first of all since the advent of cell phone cameras hmm. there's more instantaneous visible visible awareness of questionable police conduct okay. uh-huh. back in the day you know even before i was a policeman Police did whatever they did with impunity. There were good yeah. policemen. Ninety, ninety-two percent of policemen are good people, but it depends on the culture of the organization that they're raised in. Nice. And you need to, you need to hear this. Right. That that indoctrination starts mm-hmm. in the academy, mm. and so it depends on how you are raised to believe. What are your obligations to the people you police? Mm -hmm. What are the limits of your behavior, even when you're dealing with people that are criminals? And 
are you a professional organization? Mm -hmm. And I would say that you'll see that the most egregious incidents that happen happen for a few reasons. One, there's a negative police culture. Okay. The leaders believe that police can behave in egregious manner, and okay. they do. Mm -hmm. Two, poor training. Mm. Officers are not properly trained. They don't understand the use of cover and concealment. Patients not doing things to create their own apprehension, which well, leads cultural sensitivity or lack well, of well, training. Well, cultural sensitivity. Well, hold on a second. That's that's kind of gets towards the end. Okay. Okay. And then there are people, some people that just are not fit to be police officers, and they're malicious people. Okay. And hopefully they're weeded out. But when you talk about cultural sensitivity, you tell me what person, and this is what I, I would do it. If um, you'd have misconduct where someone was rude to someone, and ordinarily they'd get a written reprimand, and and their supervisor talked to them, and that'd be the end of it. But when me in Santa Monica, you had to come and see the chief, mm. and I'd ask you, I'd say, well, let me ask you this, and they'd have a million reasons why. Well, you know, they said this, and I said that. I said, let me ask you this: if that was your mother, your brother, your uncle, your grandfather, or your cousin. Would you have wanted them treated the way you treated that person? Mm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And there would be silence. Mm. And I say, this is the last time we're having this conversation. Nice. So it's so much. People try to make it more difficult than it is. Okay. This is about police leadership, police culture, accountability for behavior. And there are certain things that anyone does in any profession that disqualifies them for future employment. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that sometimes chiefs feel their position is more to protect the reputation of the agency than it is to send the message that, unfortunately, what you did disqualified you from future employment. Okay. And just in terms of the, the racial climate, a lot of people, you know, a lot of focus or uh, conversations around Colin Kaepernick, right, and his protest of the national anthem. What do you think about, you know, the athletes, or his his position in in, in protesting the anthem, uh, the anthem and the other athletes that are following in suit. Well, okay. <laughs> Hear me on this. Okay. You got the mic. People that um, play professional basketball, professional baseball, football, hockey, they receive millions of dollars to play a game. They're not receiving that money to play a game. They receive that money because they're entertainers. Okay. And the reason they get that kind of money is because advertisers pay for entertainers. It's my belief that if you're in the realm of entertainment, then you don't do things to diminish the product of the people that employ you. Mm, okay. You definitely are entitled to your beliefs. Mm -hmm. But in that venue, I don't think that is the venue. I think the venue, if you really want to put your money where your mouth is, then donate to organizations that you feel that you feel combat the injustices that you see in society. While I may agree with everything that Colin Kaepernick feels about mm -hmm. the disparities in, 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 in treatment in the country, when you're being paid as an entertainer, and I, I, I do believe he was on the clock, okay. that that is not the place. What do you think, Odess? I, I think he 
sparked a nerve that needed to be sparked. Okay. I may not, uh, you know, I stand for the anthem. That's my own personal view. But I think the one good thing that has come from it is that it has put it in a national spotlight on some of the issues that we have had. I mean, I grew up afraid to go to Culver City mm-hmm. because every time I was in Culver City, I had issues. And okay. I'm six foot nine, so I don't know what profile I fit. Right. But um, I can understand both sides of the party. And for me, like I said, I like that he struck a nerve that has um, got the conversation started. Okay. And well, we're, we're coming to the end of the, the hour. May, uh, may I comment on that? Of time? course. If if some of the unnecessary deaths that have occurred don't strike a nerve, how does not standing for the national anthem do more to raise consciousness? Uh, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? I think I, it's just the media. There's it, all the hype I, around it. Do sadly, you know what I mean? it seems it, that it, people are more concerned it, about yeah. an athlete than about 20 people getting shot in a, a theater. Well, that, well that's, yeah. that's, that's, that says a lot to you. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and so I just want to, you know, throw the mic to you and, and ask the mayor our last question uh, for our time. It went mm-hmm. by fast, huh? It sure did. <laughs> that's because we enjoy you. Go ahead. Anything you want to ask him? Um, no, I just, um, my biggest question is, um, where do you see Inglewood in the next 10 years? What is the biggest change you see coming? Well, we are um, planning Inglewood in a manner so that we grow synergistically. And what do I mean by that? That we intend to build different shopping and entertainment districts and housing districts that are interlaced and complement with each other as opposed to compete with one another. I see Prairie Boulevard between Century and Imperial being totally bought up by investment consortiums and completely renovated the same way for Century uh, west of Prairie all the way to La Cienega. I see Inglewood within seven years looking more like South Beach, Miami than Inglewood today. Do you think it'll still be majority black? It's not even majority black now. Well, we we almost majority black, but but the point is, see, and, and everybody focuses more on because what, that because I was going to ask you, we're going to talk about that next week about uh, gentrification uh, and and the on, negative on connotation what we will around be. it. The reality is, is that wealthier cities are more diverse than either poor cities or extremely wealthy cities. I mean, we you, you the only way that black people can leave Inglewood is if they sell their houses. And so, we're going to be talking about that so, next week. We're going to so, be talking about gentrification. So, come on. So, exactly. And there's nobody coming out here with an Uzi and says, you got to sell me your house. So, stick around. The Absolutely. Best Don't sell. Do you know what I mean? Matter of right. fact, we should have been investing, you know, right. when, when the, we even heard that the train was coming in the first place and started buying up but but it preach, is a lesson don't move and prove you know what i mean so in terms of this and, and we're going to talk about this more next week but in terms of our generation and having a, a paradigm shift as it relates to gentrification because you know my argument is that's something not to protest but to capitalize on mm-hmm. and so there needs to be uh this this the shift in the conversation when it comes to revitalizing our community because we do leave and we, and we also do sell. have to define that word gentrification absolutely because it's 
almost used synonymously to say this is when whites move black people up. When it is just it's, a process it, of it, renewal that does not a, have any color. It's a social to it. economic Absolutely. term. All right. Absolutely. And I'm I'm in total agreement. Matter of fact, I'm doing a TEDx talk Crenshaw on gentrification for the next generation, October eighth. I'll be telling you more about it. And that is my argument. Is that when you see uh, the same train is going to go through Koreatown, it's going to go through a lot of those other communities where there may be some residents that get displaced, but the culture and the economics are not going to change. Mm -hmm. And but when it comes through the black community, gentrification is defined as an urban, you know, experience or a displacement of black people. But that's because one, you said we leave and we sell to the highest bidder, and that highest bidder uh, may not be black. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's one of those things where I tell people, like, look at Venice Beach. Those people, a lot of those hippies there, that property wasn't that expensive. And those people held on and now they're land rich. I mean, you're a millionaire by owning a house. So next week we talk about the revitalization of Inglewood. We're going to talk about it from an economic development strategy and an entrepreneurship strategy. And it's something for us to have invested in. And gentrification, just like uh, the recession, is cyclical. Real estate is a cyclical economy. It's going to happen again. You must and be a business major. I, I, I must I be, you must be. I must be a daughter major. of Chuck Quarles of the Beffer Group. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something for us to capitalize on. We are products of the civil rights movement we don't have some of the same barriers nor the emotional connection to gentrification so it's something for us to invest in and to capitalize in and to educate ourselves on recreating black wall streets for the next mm -hmm. generation we have to own we cannot sell do not sell you stay in your community and you see the value in it in Inglewood we got a billionaire <laughs> investing in Inglewood uh, we actually have a billion dollar corporation we have a billionaire in Stan Kroenke and uh, don't be surprised if there's not a third billionaire within the next year. And we have a black mayor that's on point. That is on point and has an agenda and, and is not afraid to be held accountable. Thank you so much. I have Thank enjoyed you. you so much. Star, I enjoyed this. And like I can't no wait till we talk Thank about you. the redevelopment. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Odess. Thanks for having uh, me. And make sure you tune in next week when we continue our conversation with uh, Mayor Butts. And we're going to talk specifically about the revitalization of Inglewood. And it is something for us to capitalize on as a generation and to be um, involved in and to invest in our communities. Uh, thank you for tuning in for our series on the new Inglewood. We are going to continue next week uh, we're talking about revitalizing the wood. I'm your host, Starlet Quarles, uh, signing off as my mama's child and my daddy's baby girl. Until next week, God bless you. Reality Radio, handcrafted for your listening pleasure. This is L.A. Talk Live, and we're more than just talk. Stay tuned.